0: But I want to come now to the Pat, Pat Kenny show with Aviva sales, Insurance emails, on News Talk. Headline screams Guard a patrol for D4 Asylum Centre. Anti immigrant protesters gather outside former nursing home that will accommodate refugee families within days. Of course, the context of this is before Christmas in Galway, the burning of, of a beautiful building which was proposed. There was a protest outside it uh, uh, for a, a centre a curious a suggested arson in Tipperary, um, and in Ringsend End there was another fire. Um, again, some confusion of whether they were actually designated to be asylum centres or not. Well, to clarify what's happening in terms of, which is clearly a campaign uh, to, to, to stop facilities being provided, uh, Craig Hughes of uh, the Irish Daily Mail joins us, political correspondent. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Ivan. What's the latest?
1: Yes, so, I mean, last night we, we saw guardy patrolling um, the accommodation in, in, in Ballsbridge, that, that, that um, asylum seeking or uh, international protection... Tell, tell us about into. the
0: property. What, where is it?
1: So it's in Pembroke Park uh, in Ballsbridge. I mean, it's one of the most exclusive areas um, in in South Dublin. Um, it is the site of a former nursing home that has been vacant uh, since twenty twenty. And there had been planning permission granted to uh, build uh, some build to rent apartments on it. That that ultimately didn't go ahead. It did have some local ob- oppositions at the time. Um, but look, it, it is a very salubrious neighbourhood. But I mean, I, I think talking to lo- local representatives out there. They said that while they had a lot of people contacting them, you know, asking for details and clarity around, it, they didn't have much um, pushback to it. Um, but I guess this all comes on the back of what has been dubbed a scorched earth policy by the anti-immigration agitators. I mean, we saw that language used um, in, in, in the pretext to the Dublin riots. And we've even before the instance that you mentioned, other um centres that were earmarked for asylum seeker accommodation um, were subject to criminal damage and, and arson attacks. And I, I think the response from the guardy yesterday after details of, of, of the centre um, were, were published, I, I guess, really reflects that and, and reflects the level of, of risk and, and danger there are to these premises at the moment, um, given what we, we saw, e- even just in recent days, like as you mentioned, Tipperary yesterday and, of course, Rings the week before that.
0: um, So... Do we know from the guardi whether they think uh, this is a, a sort of systemic campaign or it's ad hoc or what?
1: Well, I think we know from from if you, if you all you have to do is follow some of the 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 main agitators. Um, on social media and they're quite clear in, in their rhetoric here. Um, now, we don't, I guess what we don't know and, and I guess one of the frustrations within government is that we haven't had any, any prosecutions for any of these arson attacks yet. Um, you know, it, it, of course, it is very difficult to detect if someone is going in in the middle of the night and setting fire to, to, to a place. Um, but we don't know if this is a group who's moving around the country or or, or if or if simply their message is, is travelling. Um, but the level of concern we do know is quite high and look for the, for, the, for the Gardaí to be out, outside that premises um, yesterday and last night as soon as details were announced um, I, I guess illustrates that and, and there were some anti-immigration um I would say protesters um outside the premises last night when my colleague Garth McNamee was down there, um filming journalists um filming people going in and out of the building their kind of usual modus operandi of of, of intimidation, um which which is rolled out at ev- at every accommodation that that is w- whether it's it's earmarked or even falsely rumoured to be for international protection applicants.
0: See, I'm looking here at a list of um, arsons going back sort of almost two years. Roughton House in Dublin 1 a property a pro- former primary school in Ballincollig in Cork a property the Sailors Rest in Boncrana in Donegal Shangana Road in Ballybrack Ridge Hall I mean are, are, the, are the Gardaí doing a good job in terms of uh, actually having a proper investigation into this serious criminal damage
1: well, well, look. I mean, I've, I mean, it's, I guess what you, what you could point is that there hasn't been any prosecutions yet. Now, the Gardaí might say that might take time in some instances. So, um, look, I'm not I'm not across all, all, all every case there to to, to know if that, how well the Gardner are how well they're doing in in, in following up on the, these issues. But I guess what we do know um, based on what on the response yesterday um, was that there is a, certainly an elevation. Um, in their level of risk, and they felt that they had to be proactive rather than reactive in, in the situation yesterday.
0: Okay, moving beyond the security issue, as a Pol- Polkor yourself, I'd like to ask you about that and discuss the politics of this. Insofar as my observation of this is that, absolutely, when it kicked off in February uh, 22 in Ukraine, there was a view you know, tens of thousands of people offered their homes. But I have watched and observed in the subsequent two years that, that that attitudes have changed. And people who I would never call racist are actually saying, you know, in rural areas that we cannot cope with this. And, you know, you look at what's happening in Germany with open borders, you look what's at what Macron has said, that they can't solve the problems of the world. Uh, you know, in Europe, if you look at the elections in the Netherlands and in Italy, it seems to me that uh, there's a gulf between the world you work in, Craig, the political and media bubble, and what people are saying who are not racist in Middle Ireland across the country. And I cite the example of Killarney, uh, which is a, a, a rural Large town, tourist town, 4,500 Ukrainians, 700 uh, 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 international uh, asylum uh, uh, individuals. And, and there was a silent protest there, March, of, of what I would consider ordinary decent people, just saying, you know, the gulf between the political and media bubble and uh, uh, and reality. And, and also, I would put the point to you, actually, what comfort are we offering people when we're putting them in tents? when we 've actually run out of road in accommodation do, do you do you do you get the point of the gulf between what 's said and what people are thinking here <laughs>
1: I take your point slightly, but I mean you say what comfort do you give people if you put them in tents is, isn 't it much better than them them being in a, in a kind of a tent with facilities around it here um than in calais or or, or some or in some greek port town i mean and this ultimately goes back. To a kind of a failure of of, of the EU collectively, um, to, to take kind of collective burden sharing on this. Um, in March, the European Commission is due to ratify, for the first time, a kind of common approach, um, to migration with its migration pact That will see proper burden sharing. Now, within that, there there will be clauses for, um, for governments to pay. I think it's twenty thousand euro. Um, per person that they can't accommodate under their quota if if their system simply can't cope and i guess what would be interesting to hear from the irish context is, is what is what what their view will be to that if they if they view the level of applicants coming here going down dramatically and and, and for us having to kind of kind of pay um not to take them in i, I guess the other interesting shift we've seen in the political side of things is you know, we go back to the Sunday Independent Ireland Things poll that showed twenty-eight percent of people would would vote or likely vote for an anti-immigration party, um, or or candidate. Now, what I thought was a very significant shift was was from Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou McDonald, um, in an interview with me just before Christmas. Yeah, and
0: I was, that's where, actually where I was heading yeah. on this because my yeah. analysis of the situation. In the latter half of last year, was that Sinn Féin had, had uh, lost support from 30, 33, 34% to 27%. And my sense of it, my intuition was that actually they were part of the consensus on migration and that they, in working class areas, were actually not able to straddle both sides of this argument. It's a very difficult issue for them. And I then palpably saw in your interview her shifting ground.
1: Yes, uh, and, and just to remind your listeners, what she what, what said there was was that after I, I asked what should happen with Ukrainian refugees after March twenty twenty five, which is when the temporary protection order um, ends, and I, I guess first of all, uh, Ms. McDonald said that it was it was a mistake to create a two tier system, so one for one system for Ukrainians and, and one for everyone else. Now that's despite it being um, it, it despite the EU acting collectively on that. So, um, I don't think Ireland really could have w- went outside of, of those things, but she suggested she suggested that only those working in critical uh, skilled jobs should be allowed to stay here automatically. The rest would have to go back in through the asylum process, which I think is, is a massive, massive shift. Whatever about um, introducing new policies um, on, on new arrivals to, to suddenly um, look to kind of uh, change the ground from under people who are here already. I, I just thought that was so significant because I didn't think it was on the minds of, of, of most Irish people at all. Um, so I, I think when it comes to the late land, I think the first few months, January, February, will will really will will really see the parties setting out their stalls on how they're going to um, approach my migration um, in the lead up to what at well, least. Well, well, can one I give you an point.
0: example? If I go into a pub and in a score theater, if I talk hmm. to people about this issue, I'll tell you what they talk about. They talk about the Pushkast case and uh, Ashling Murphy's murder. They talk about the Polanyi case in Sligo, and as you know, with, with the top tabloids. Crime is nearly always on the front page. And people are remarkably well informed in this. And now some of these, of course, are Europeans and they have a right to come here, immigration or, or no immigration. But but people genuinely feel that the vetting procedure for some people who may have previous convictions, and I, I'm going from the specific to the general here, you never hear that debated in the media.
1: Uh, well, well I, I, I think that's are kind of a dangerous narrative put put out there that is associating kind of s- asylum seekers w- w- with crime like uh, I grew up in in in, in, in County Mayo where we had I, I grew up with a direct prison centre being there now uh, it's been the, the most diverse town per capita in Ireland for, for a long time and the issue of crime h- hasn't really been one and then I, and then so I'm I, I it risk... sorry
0: let me be clear about this our hospitality industry, in that case, the halal meat uh, plant in Ballyhonas, we could not operate our economy with staff shortages. There are 31,000 permits approved. So 70,000 people left the hospitality industry. So I, I'm totally on the same page there. That there is no question if we want the economy to grow, whether it's tech sector or whatever, we need work permits. But but the vetting, the vet, what do you say to people? Or what do you think the government or the... Body politics says to people who say, you know, these crimes, you know, are, are, are beyond the pale.
1: Well, if, if you're in the European Union, you've, you, 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 you've right to freedom of movement. So people who've come from within Europe, who are, who are Europeans, I mean, there's, there's nothing you can do there. When it comes to people coming here asylum seekers, I mean, they are fingerprinted. They are run through an international database. And um, now I think that the, the common pact being brought forth through the European Commission is looking to bolster that even more. Um, but I, I think a lot of the times you have, I, I guess a lot of these, Far, far right anti-immigration agitators and um, pushing forward kind of f- false narratives around o- unvetted males, and that's the one that always gets 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 put forward. I mean, but like, p- people are fingerprinted; their they're, 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 their credentials are run through an international da- da- database before they arrive here. Um, so I, I just don't think it stacks up, to be honest.
0: Okay, well, let's see what the listener says. Liam says your speaker is wrong. A single person can't rent a bedsit in this country because they were outlawed years ago. But it's okay to put people in tents. Absolute madness. Another, Andrew says, stop conflating racism with reasonable concerns over illegal immigration. Stop conflating economic immigrants with asylum seekers and stop pretending people from Georgia and Algeria are fleeing war or persecution. People coming from Calais... Or the UK are by definition not fleeing from an unsafe country. How would you respond to those?
1: Well, that goes back to, I guess, saying um, if people have a right to to move on to a a second country after arriving in the in, in the first place place in in, in Europe, um, and I think that comes down to a, a common approach by by the European, uh, by the by the by, by Europe on this, where, where we can't just have you know poor towns um on the mediterranean ha- having to, having to deal w- w- with every everyone who who comes to to europe um in relation to when people are saying economic migrants i think i think the political consensus has been that when it comes to people who go through the asylum system and, and don't get status that that needs to be bolstered um because we have seen the level of deportations here um, not meeting up with, with with the amount of people who 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 aren't permitted to stay, so I think there's been collective consensus on that. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch if we see an increase in. Yeah, I, I mean,
0: like I I actually I actually think the permanent government have shifted on this. We saw the the weekly subsidy go from three thirty uh, to to something that was at eighty euros or something like that. That uh, like we've taken in a hundred and twenty thousand people. I just want to put the practical point to you. Leaving aside any views on global migrants of people, of what's going to happen with climate change and war, like, where do you draw the line? 120,000, would you take in another quarter of a million? Like, surely there has to become some pragmatic capacity restraint question, leaving aside any principles.
1: Yeah, well, uh, to be honest, I think the government made a mistake in not acting sooner uh, in changing the entitlements. Uh, to Ukrainians, to be honest, because we we do know that we had uh, the most generous welfare offering uh, within the EU when it came to Ukrainians, and that that th- there did seem to be quite a, a strong correlation uh, with countries in Western Europe based on on their level of welfare entitlements. Um, so I, I think, you know, we had Roderick or Gorman, I think it was seven or eight weeks before the decision was made, um, raising the case quite bluntly at the Cabinet table, which, which, which caused quite a lot of consternation. Um, you know, and I, I think that was an indication that there was a feeling within the, uh, within the system that was providing accommodation that something needed to be done sooner. Um, and I think it was a misstep for, for, for the government not to act collectively, but before then, to, to reduce the numbers. Um, and I, I, it'll be interesting to see how the impact of those changes when the ratified play, plays out, whether that will lead to a dramatic reduction in the numbers arriving here, um, my, my instinct is that, is that it will, um, but we'll 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 have to um, have to see it, wait and see to see how that washes through the system.
0: All right. Uh, My thanks to Craig Hughes, political correspondent with the Irish Daily Mail, who did that significant interview with Mary Lou Macdonald and whose paper today has the stories of the security risks attached to uh, properties in Dublin that are being earmarked potentially as asylum records. Thank you indeed, uh, Craig. Just two more texts I want to take on that. Martin in Waterford says, Why are we housing Algerians here? They are not fleeing war zones. And someone else says, finally, if everyone, if everyone records so efficiently and they're taken properly, why do we end up with criminals with long list of previous convictions from non-EU home countries in our court system? And why do people get off planes with no papers? Well, I think that's above my pay grade. You'll have to talk to Roderick. Uh, uh- the Pat Kenny Show. With Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m on News Talk.